I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. You could write about something in science fiction. So I dreamed up the Star Trek idea so that I could comment on man and society. The whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. You know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves and a rational fear of the unknown. There's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. Open your mind to the past, art, history, philosophy, and all this may mean something. There comes a time in every man's life when he must stop thinking and start doing. Fear only exists for one purpose, to be conquered. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure, more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. The heart of real science fiction is stories about people and ideas. Because it says it's not all over, it's not going to go up in smoke, we're going to make it. Because it says the human adventure has just begun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of Tribbles and Transporters podcast. We are three Trekkie gals who grew up in the 90s and fell in love with Star Trek for many of the reasons that you just heard. And even though we consider ourselves Trekkies, there is a lot of Star Trek we've never seen before. And that's why we are going to cycle through all the episodes of the completed series, learn about some cool behind the scenes stuff, and talk about our reactions to each episode. We're also going to tackle some topics within the Star Trek universe and maybe do the occasional interview with a guest. Today we are doing something a little bit different. It is a topic episode today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about some of our favorite things within the Star Trek universe. So my name is Erin, and I am known as the resident Voyager fan on the podcast. Uh, That is my favorite series, and... um, Uh, A lot of the things on our favorites list are probably going to come from Voyager, but uh, I I try to uh, incorporate all the series because I do love Star Trek as a whole. I started watching it with TNG as a kid and uh, watched all the way up through Deep Space Nine, Voyager. I've seen some uh, reruns of the original series, and I had not... uh, jumped into Enterprise until the podcast. So I've been enjoying going through favorites old and new. My name is Sarah, and my favorite uh, episode, or not episode, series, which we're actually going to talk about later, uh, I feel like we're spoiling this part of our discussion. That's the recap. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite series is TNG, and I have not seen the full series of any of the others. So um, a lot of the episodes that we're watching for this podcast are ones that I've seen for the very first time. Uh, I would say Deep Space Nine is my second most familiar series. And then um, barely seen anything of the original series or Enterprise. Uh, seen a couple episodes of Discovery. And of course, we watched the first season of Picard. So... Um, you'll have to take my answers with a grain of salt. 
a bit tonight because there's a lot of Star Trek I haven't seen before. So I feel like I'm going to be somewhat biased, you know, to what I have seen. And my name is Megan and I am the podcast resident Deep Space Nine uh, expert. That is my favorite um, of the series. Um, as I've stated many times before, um, the next I do love Next Generation um, as well. Um, I've seen all of Deep Space Nine, um, most of Next Generation, if not all of Next Generation. Um, maybe some of their first season shows. I haven't seen all of them, I don't think. Um, and then I've seen most of the original series. Um, just the first, all of Voyager, I think. Maybe there may be a couple episodes in there I missed. Um, and then on Enterprise, just the first two seasons, uh, life got busy and I didn't have time to, <laughs> to watch the show, um, beyond that. And then I have not seen any of Discovery. Um, I'd actually love to do that and make time to do that. Um, and then watch the first season of Picard. So, um, but out of all of that, I mean, Deep Space Nine still remains very near and dear to my heart. So. So as Sarah said, we are kind of spoiling a little bit of some of our favorite things in our uh, intros of ourselves, but what we are going to be talking about today is elements from the Star Trek universe, uh, all aspects of it that we were able to choose favorites from. So we are going to start with a little bit of a recap, um, because these are things that we have mentioned before in our podcast episodes. So each of us are going to go around and first mention our favorite uh, series and character um, and just refresh your minds on those. Um, as I said, Voyager is my favorite series and uh, Janeway is my favorite character pretty much in all of Star Trek. So um, that those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. And I just said the TNG is my favorite and um, Riker is my favorite character. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that. So yeah, for me, uh, um, the space nine is my favorite. And I actually picked favorites out of the completed series, like each show, because oh. I don't have like one favorite that would like be the number one on my list. I do have like a number one favorite of each show. So um, of the original series, Dr. McCoy, um, of Next Generation, um, would be Deanna Troy. Um, I actually wanted to become a counselor partly because of how much I enjoyed her character. Um, wait, but, what? Yeah. This is news to me. Yeah. This is my best friend growing up and I had no <laughs> yes. idea about this. Yeah. Um, I seriously considered going to college to become a counselor. Um, very seriously considered it. Um, what in the world? We were even in school together. In I know, college. but I didn't. Be, part I didn't because of how much school. Because the, what I wanted to do would have required me to get a doctorate, mm. and I just could not fathom eight more years of school <laughs> <laughs> coming out of high school. It just, oh man, I was so burnt out and just couldn't do it. But I've always been that person that people bring their problems to. Um. So I, I, I have a sort of a natural bent to it, um, but it was not something that I ever pursued for as a career. And I actually re I thought about um, about 10 years ago going back to school um, to do that and then just didn't want to um, in my 40s <laughs> start a new <laughs> career. So um, didn't do that. But that's that I seriously considered it um, for a while. Um, 
because it was the first time I'd seen that on television uh, as an actual career option um, and someone that I thought was good at it. Um, but uh, so for Deep Space Nine, um, I think my favorite character on there is Dr. Bashir. Um, on Voyager, that would be Tom Paris. And then on M- Enterprise, it would be um, Trip Tucker. So those are my, my favorite characters from each of the shows. Yes, and I think it's fair for Megan to kind of expand a little bit more because Sarah and I did a episode before Megan joined the podcast that we did go over some of those things, like our favorite characters, and and we have presented some of our favorite episodes and reviewed them before. So uh, if Megan goes a little bit more in-depth than the rest of us, uh, that is probably why. Um, and I, I think that's good for us to hear because uh, we haven't heard your uh, choices for those different yeah. categories. Yeah, sorry. I just jumped in on... I'm no, no. Episodes with you guys. So uh, I remember when that episode came out on the podcast because I was a, li- a fan listening to you guys before um, being able to join you guys. And I was at home talking <laughs> to my phone because I was listening to it through my phone, <laughs> talking to my phone, <laughs> talking to you in my head. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's great to get to hear some of those things uh, that we haven't learned. And obviously, uh, you know, I haven't known you as long as Sarah has, so it's it's neat for me to hear, and it's it's funny that uh, you know Sarah's jumping in and saying, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I know. Um, actually, I was a little surprised that that was surprising. So, well, we never. I don't remember ever talking about it. So yeah, I don't think we did. <laughs> we're we're a great best friends. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much else going on in your lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so with that little bit of recap uh, done, we are going to move on to some of the categories. Uh, We're going to start with some uh, quicker, easier ones and then delve into some that probably require a little bit more explanation. So we are going to start off with the first category, favorite uniform. Um, I think for me, I think this uniform was first introduced on... First contact, I think, but it was the, or it may have been Deep Space Nine. I know it crossed over to both, but it was the um, uh, gray shoulder, more tufted shoulder with the the, depart- the department's colored mock neck, um, turtleneck. That was my favorite uniform um, so far that's been on the show. Well, I can tell you that that one is indeed often referred to as the first contact uniform because that was where it was introduced. And like you say, it did cross over to Deep Space Nine. And the reason I know that is because I checked that out because that that was originally for a very long time, that was my favorite uniform. And I still really do like it. But I actually have kind of switched and I really liked the uniforms um, that we see Picard and Rafi wear in the first season of Picard. So when, yeah. you know, before Rafi is forced to leave Starfleet, um, I really liked that uniform. Um, I forgot about those. Yeah. Those are nice. Yeah. It just really kind of stuck with me. It's It kind of goes back to the 
the black main body of the uniform with the colored shoulders, but it, it added in a black stripe in between. It had a black collar instead of having a mock neck underneath. I, I just really liked the way that was set up. Hmm. I must be the one that doesn't like those uniforms, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that they had, they were a little bit too busy for mm-hmm. me, but um, I, uh, I agree with Megan on this one. My favorite ones are the first contact uniforms. And I do think I remember that first contact was when they were first introduced. Cause mm-hmm. I, I feel like I remember in the movie thinking, Oh, this is the first time I've seen these uniforms mm-hmm. and trying to figure out if I like them or not. I don't think I did write it right at first, but after seeing them over the years, they became my favorites. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that is the one like uniform. If I could have my own costume, that's the uniform I want. It just looks really hot to wear. It, I it mean, does. it's like wool on top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and the way that they show it layered, like in, in, in next generation or in um, first contact and in deep space time, the different layers that you only see in later episodes of, of that uniform. Um, yeah. You would be dying. <laughs> like yeah. the undershirt's pretty yeah. thick. Yeah. So you have the undershirt and there's a vest. Oh gosh. I underneath about that. that, that. So yeah, is there's no way you wouldn't be just dying. Why the heck exhaustion. are they wearing all of that? <laughs> I mean, obviously like it's not, you don't see the vest until like Captain Picard later walking through the ship or. Yeah. But what was the um, purpose of the vest? Just like to I make it look fancy. Pretty, I guess so. <laughs> Okay. here wear layers it's in space you may be cold yep (laughs) except for when you beam down to any random planet you never have to wear a jacket at all yeah Yeah. exactly and it's totally not going to be hot under all those studio lights no i'm surprised they weren't sweating oh i do have to say i like the um dress uniform the white dress oh yeah that one's nice as well yeah yeah so yeah, definitely better than the the long tunic style ones. Dress. The dresses, <laughs> so they used to yeah. call yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, leading on from that, a uh, natural segue into favorite com badge, or if you like the original series ones, favorite insignia. I mean, I'm going to have to go with Next Generation's one. It's such the, the classic one and where I really first fell in love with Star Trek. Although I do like some of the other ones, but that the classic one from next generation is my favorite. I'm super nostalgic for that one because that was like a huge deal when I was growing up. Like I wanted a com badge and I mm. wanted the T and G one, but I have to say that as far as looks go, just pure looks, I kind of like the one that came after that, that they wore in first contact. And I guess later on in Voyager and deep space nine, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm more nostalgic though for the TNG one. Yeah, I was super excited when I got the Compadge pin. It didn't make sounds or anything. It's just a pin. Yeah. I loved it, and I have no idea where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it's in at my mom's house and all my um, Star Trek stuff that's still stored there. So. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with you, Sarah, as well. Um, I liked that one when it was introduced in. I want to say it was introduced with Deep Space Nine. Um, like it came in with the uniforms that had the colored shoulder and the and the black body, um, I think is when that started. So um, yeah, it was definitely carried all the way through Voyager and, and seems to be 
kind of linked with with Voyager. So that is my favorite as well because I think it yeah. has an it has enough similarity to the the TNG one, but it just I, I like the the more angled gold yeah. piece in the back as opposed to the oval. I mean, I I would say that one would be my second favorite. Yeah, so it's it's a beautifully designed combat. I don't know when it was introduced. I just looked up emissary on Deep Space Nine, and they have the TNG combat on. Oh, really? So, hmm. I don't know when it was introduced. Yeah, I I may be completely wrong on that, and it it probably came in with first contact then. All right. Delve into more research on that one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Switching gears. um, Now we are going to talk about our favorite alien race. Now, this could be one of the major races that we encounter all the time. Could be Klingons, Vulcans, could be something super obscure that only appears in one or two episodes. Uh, So I will go ahead and say I had a hard time with this one. because I always liked the the Bajorans because I when I really started getting into noticing the makeup and that sort of thing and really understanding the different cultures and stuff was with Deep Space Nine. So I really enjoyed that kind of deep dive into the Bajoran culture. But um my I, I keep coming back to I like the trill. Um, I like their design. Now, I will say that the design in Deep Space Nine um, with the spots running down um, from head to toe. Um, and I will admit that a small part of that is because one year for Halloween, I actually painted trill spots on myself and felt like it was one of those makeups that's really easy to accomplish and look really good. So, um but I, I do enjoy their the culture and the the way they're uh, set up and everything as well. If you have yeah. any pictures of you in that makeup, you should. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I do have some, so I'm going to have to find it. Mm. Yeah, I debated bounce back and forth between the Trill and um, Betazoids. And for me, because I did like Deanna Troy so much that Betazoids – one out for me because I think mm. that's just a fascinating capability that they have um, that's been written for them. So it has always been like, that'd be interesting to be able to read minds and sense other people's emotions. I think it would make communication um, like easier maybe in the long term because you're not like, you can't lie because you, the person's going to know you're lying. So just cut to the chase and, say what you're thinking and feeling. So um, that's something that I've always been fascinated by. So uh, that that's why Betazoids won out for me. Well, I think I mentioned this in the previous episode, but the Borg are my favorite by far. Um, I, I don't think that was cemented, though, until First Contact came out because the Borg were okay on TNG, um, but it wasn't until I saw them in first contact where it really became like cemented for me. You know, the makeup was just upgraded a lot and they made the Borg um, just more sinister. Yeah, scarier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so that's just, I don't know, just it just put them on a different level than what they had been on the show. And, and of course, that's, you know, 
it was just such a fun experience going to that movie. And so I mm-hmm. guess I just associate, you know, uh, just a lot of fun feelings with, with the Borg, even though they're kind of like super threatening, but, um, yeah, I just love like the coldness of them and how they don't, mm. how you can beam onto their ship. They don't care, you know, until you start messing around with stuff. And they're just, uh, I mean, I, I suppose there have been other alien species like them and other sci-fi, you know, but I haven't really watched a whole lot of other sci-fi. So to me, you know, the Borg are a pretty unique species and, you know, their ship design is really cool and how it can like repair itself and how they can adapt. And, you know, there's just a lot of really cool things about the Borg that I, that I like. Nice. All right. So something a little bit different. Uh, Favorite original series movie. So this is just the original six with uh, Captain Kirk and his crew. Um, I think we've we've kind of talked around this topic. I don't know if any of us have ever just straight out stated which one's our favorite, though. I mean, for me, out of all of those six my favorite is Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Um, I just, I love, I just love that movie. It's got, it's so well acted um, in it. I love the, um, the storyline, and um, I love having Christopher um, Plummer in there. <laughs> I mean, who knew Captain Von Trapp would be a Klingon one day? Um, <laughs> but like having him in there and uh, just having, you know, Shakespeare is best in the original Klingon and all of those type of, of things that were in that movie. It was just so good to me and such a good last movie um, with all of that cast together. Well, I guess for me of what I remember of <laughs> the original series movies, is uh, I mean, it has to be the voyage home just because uh, I'm a stickler for comedy, and that's what I prefer. I prefer comedy over drama, and the voyage home was just funny pretty much all the way through, and uh, just the fun, lighthearted adventure. Of course, you know, you can't beat time travel, you know, seeing the Star Trek crew come to 20th century Earth and experience everything that we experience, and you know, it just had all of the um, the right ingredients to make a really, really good movie. And I think it was the highest grossing one out of all of them, if I remember right. I could be wrong about that, but um, I think it's, it's without a doubt one of the more popular ones. So, Yeah, it's definitely one of the most popular. Um, in fact, when I recently did a, a poll online of, of people helping us choose what one we should watch to review on the podcast, um, that was definitely one of the ones put forward there. Um, and while I do love that movie, uh, I am actually going with Megan's Choice as well. So um, it is just one of... I, I think it's one of the best fleshed out, well-rounded mm-hmm. stories in those movies. And like you say, it's an amazing send off for that crew. Um, it, you know, you actually get at the end, all of them standing together and receiving applause for basically saving the Federation again. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just a really, really good story 
well-made, well-presented. Mm-hmm. The music um, in it is fantastic. Yeah. Ties in with it well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on from original series movie, uh, we are at TNG movies now. Um, and it kind of sounds like we might all be in agreement on this one um, just by how many things have come from First Contact, um, which would be my favorite of the TNG movies for sure. Oh, yeah. Hands down, First Contact. Although it was hard. I love Generations as well, hmm. um, just to have that tie-over movie, but hands down would be First Contact for me. Yeah, no question. I mean, that's that's obviously the best movie. I Well, I think most people consider it the best TNG movie, and it's the most popular. It was the highest grossing. Um, and it was definitely the, the one that I had the most fun going to see. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was, my, that, was a, that was a great night to, yeah. <laughs> to go see a movie. Yeah. We had terrible and, seats, but it was a great night. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. Back back corner of the <laughs> yeah. theater. But, I mean, we yeah. can still see the screen, okay? Yeah. So, you know, they Just had... To be there that night with the energy of the audience. Yeah. Everyone was a fan. Everyone was re- reacting to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was fun. And it's such a good movie. Yeah. People wore their Star Trek uniforms. I think mm-hmm. they had like a raffle or something, depending on yeah. what scene Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, it was great. Um, it was, it was just fun because like up to that point, I don't think I'd, I'd never been to a Star Trek movie at the theater before. I had always hmm. seen them just, you know, <laughs> going to rent, run it at the store or whatever. And uh, I don't think I had either. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I don't even know what happened with Generations. Like, I don't even remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember that coming out. That, but, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So it was just just such such a great like such a great movie. And in, in the other thing with it though, the reason it was so great too was because that was the first time we saw the TNG crew since the show ended. Mm. Mm-hmm. so we had had that two-year gap of not seeing them and there was just all of this anticipation of what are they like now you know because that two years just felt like an eternity i remember that and then there's all this buzz about jonathan frakes directing it too and so we wanted to see what he would be like as a movie director um and then there was the buzz about the borg being being in there and then they showed data with like the skin you know mm-hmm. and stuff and so it was just like this big build up to it as well that I feel like the other movies didn't have. So, and they did a great job on getting Worf back on there. I mean, why wouldn't you have the Defiant? Yeah, <laughs> in there yeah. since it was built to battle the Borg. The mm-hmm. one time it made sense to have him back. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, he was there for the wedding and Nemesis too, so that made yeah. sense. But so yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it was just a better tie-in. Yeah. Um, on first contact to have him there. So. Yeah. All right. So with that uh, unanimous vote, we will go on to a uh, favorite of the Kelvin movies. Um, now, I'm sure there are some people out there who don't like them at all. Uh, there are some people that that was their introduction to Star Trek. So uh, I think we're going to be all over the place on, on these ones. Um, for me, it's really hard because... I love all three of the movies. Um, and I, I love the reboot 
because it was the first one that brought Star Trek back. Uh, I love be or into darkness because it's just such a really cool um, storyline and, and action and everything. But I am going to say that I love beyond. It was the one of the three that felt to me like a supersized um, episode of Star Trek. Um, so we've already had the introduction of this version of the crew. We've had the, you know, grabbing the attention with bringing Khan in. Now let's settle down to this crew doing their thing. Um, so that, that would be my choice for Kevin movie. I'm going to have to revisit that one. I've only seen it once. It's not my favorite yeah. <laughs> out of them, but I, it may have just been in the mood that I was in the day I watched it or my expectations were too high for it. But like for me, I love the first one, but like my favorite out of those three is Into Darkness. Hmm. I can watch that one over and I have watched it over and over and over again. It's it's on my, I don't have very many movies that it's, I have on my iPad, but it's on my iPad. So I, I generally watch it when I fly because hmm. you know, there's something to do on the plane. It's just, I love that movie. I love um, it's cast excellently. Um, I, even with the the actors that, that were hired to play these familiar characters in the reboot, um, I thought they did brilliant on hiring all those actors. Um, to have Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan, um, in that movie, I thought he was fantastic. Um, it just that movie just like the first one just sucked me in when I was in the movie theater. Mm. Um, and just, I loved every minute of those two movies. In fact, I can remember on both of them, um, calling my dad on the, as soon as I got in the car <laughs> out of the theater, because my dad was, he's the one who got me in Star Trek. And so I remember calling him going, dad, you have to go see these movies <laughs> at the movie theater. <laughs> Don't wait for them to come out and see them at home. You have to go experience them in the movie theater. Um, it, it just, you, for the, for that to be your first experience with these, do it justice and go there and see it. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, Into Darkness is my, my favorite one out of those. Well, you guys know I haven't seen Beyond, so I can't, um, <laughs> probably make a fair comparison here. I have seen the first two and Aaron, did, did we see both of those together? I think so. I know yeah. we saw the first one together and I'm pretty sure we saw Into Darkness as well. I know we saw Into Darkness together, but I couldn't remember okay. about well, the then, first one. Yeah. Yes, we saw both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just remember the inhale, the gasps that happened in the theater when it was, it was not so much a secret anymore of when the character goes, my name is Khan, and all the room goes, <gasps> so yeah. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't, that wasn't known previously? Uh, 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 no, they, it, it was never confirmed, but right. I knew. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they tried to keep it a secret. It's like, guys, you're not fooling anyone. <laughs> we know who he is. <laughs> yeah, I didn't follow any of that prior to seeing it, but um, my my gut instinct of the two that I did see was is, is to say Into Darkness is the one that sticks out in my mind more. Um, I did not, it's just me being picky, I guess. I didn't like that they kind of ripped off of Wrath of Khan, though. Um, I wish that they had done something a little bit more original than that. Um, 
So I I don't like it because of that. Um, I which one has? I guess it's the first one that has uh, them like drugging Kirk to like or the drug somebody to get him on this ship to go to the academy. Is that the first movie? Oh, uh, he didn't get drugged. Drugged. <laughs> oh yeah, they made made him sick so he could. Yeah, McCoy made him sick oh, yeah, so he could take him, on him onto the yeah. Enterprise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he was under court martial. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for cheating on the Kobayashi Maru <laughs> exam. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I thought he hadn't been to the Academy yet, though. No, he was at the Academy already. Yeah. And so this this incident had broken out. So they were putting, needing to man all the starships and that were there. And so they were putting all the cadets on ships. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) You're going to have to start retaining plot lines at some point. (laughs) Well, I've only seen each movie once in the theater. So Uh, I haven't seen it since 2009. So try to remember. Before you watch the third one, watch the first two and then watch the third one. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. So I I liked all that. That's what I remember from the first one is like the funny stuff. Mm. Yeah. the second one, I remember, like, it was just super intense, but it was good. Like, it kept my attention. So, you know what? It's a freaking tie. I don't... Maybe an edge goes to Into Darkness. I'll, I'll yeah. do that. Yeah. No, I, I figured my choice of Beyond would not be uh, a common choice. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I like all three of them, so... Well, I mean, I might <laughs> like Beyond better. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll find yeah. out. Yes, eventually we are going to get Sarah to watch Star yes. Trek Beyond. <laughs> yes. I need to rewatch all of the movies because I yeah. don't remember them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So since we've covered the different movie sections, we are going to move on to our favorite ship. Now, whether this is one of the... Uh, main hero ships or it's a alien uh, species ship um, we shall see I mean for me I'm wanting to say the defiance so badly <laughs> uh, so badly um, but for me I mean the Enterprise D wins out for me like it just again it was just where I fell in love with Star Trek and it just to have that huge of a ship Mm. (laughs) in space and with all the um, amenities and things that it had was just so fascinating to me. So that, that one's got my first love. The defiance close second. Oh, this is like the con badges for me. Dad government. Um, (laughs) I have to say from just pure looks, I prefer the enterprise E, but As far uh, maybe overall, though, I have to go with Megan with the D. It's the only ship I ever had a model of, and I would I painted it. You know, I glued it together and painted it, and I just had so many, you know, daydreams as a kid of you know like being on the Enterprise D, and mm. you know just all the fun stuff it had on it. Tin Ford was awesome. Mm. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I don't know. The the E looks really sleek though. And I, I like the way it looks on the outside. The inside is not as much fun. <laughs> it's, it's more of like a military ship than the, the D was. So, you know what? I'm going to have to edge it to the D, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I'm probably going to surprise no one and say Voyager. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for um, me, I did. I do like Voyager because I thought it was so cool that the nacelles, you know, yeah. rotate up to go into warp. I thought I was like, well, that's cool. Yeah, I was actually thinking of it to trying to, you know, separate it from the fact that oh, it's my favorite series, and and look at it a little bit more objectively. And I came around to. It's partly I I just like the way it looks. I think it's it's sleek and it it's neat because it has a little bit more of a a flow like there's there's less of the the saucer being above the rest of the ship and mm-hmm. so I like that. But what kind of struck me when I really thought about it was it was kind of the first ship that was the the main vessel of a series that didn't have anything that was like a superlative about it um like the nx01 enterprise was the first warp 5 capable ship it was the result of the whole nx program and you know that was a major thing um the enterprises after that you know they either they were, you know, Kirk's crew and they're the elite of the elite or they're the flagship of the whole federation and and all of that sort of thing. You get the Defiant is this warship prototype that was built for, you know, a purpose that Starfleet doesn't usually venture into and it has all this cool unique stuff about it whereas Voyager is just like it's it's not like it's Voyager class. It's just a ship of an intrepid class. Yes, it has some, you know, advances like the bioneural gel packs and stuff like that. But it, it was just a little ship that was sent on a mission that just ended up being extraordinary because of what happened to the ship and its crew. So well, one thing I thought it was cool about that ship too is. Uh, from what I remember, this is the first time in a series that I ever remember this happening outside of shuttlecraft is that ship having the ability to land on a planet. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is one of the, the, um, the, the unique things about it. It be, because it is a smaller ship. Um, you know, you couldn't land the D yeah. the enterprise. Like, I remember D. thinking it was like, that's an option. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know they could do that. I thought yeah. they were, Built in space. Well, didn't yeah. the nacelles also like fold up or something? They they do when they're when it goes into warp. Um, I never understood the reason for that, other than it looks cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it can fit better through Dyson spheres, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I had forgotten about the the whole landing aspect being something unique about it, but. Um, I mean, it's really not something that's seen again in Star Trek until the Kelvin Universe Star Trek movie, um, where you're seeing the ships are being built on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even Voyager was built, it was built at Utopia Planitia. So, um, you know, it was not necessarily built on a planet, but it does have the capability of landing. All right, so going from our favorite ship, we're going to get into some of our favorite things about some of the episodes. So um, the first one I have on here is our favorite quote. 
So whether this is um, a one-liner or something a little bit more in-depth, um, it's going to be interesting to hear what each of us has picked out. Um, I will say that, uh, again, not going to surprise anybody, mine is a Janeway quote. Um, and it's one of the, the ones that just pops into mind um, anytime I think about something kind of profound that a character says that sort of has a, a background meaning to it. Um, this comes from an episode um, called Dark Frontier, which was a two-parter. This comes from the second part. And in this episode, um, Seven of Nine ends up separated from the crew. And we actually get a moment where Naomi Wildman, the, uh, the little girl who's growing up on Voyager, actually comes to Captain Janeway and is concerned that they weren't going to be able to rescue Seven. And um, Captain Janeway has been sort of from a distance mentoring Naomi and kind of modeling what it's like to be a captain. Cause of course, Naomi says, I'm going to grow up to be a starship captain. Um, and so she says to her, uh, there are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in, go down with the ship and never abandon a member of your crew. So I just, I loved the delivery of that episode um, or of that line in the episode and uh, the depth of meaning behind it, uh, even though it's starts out a little light. Um, so that is my favorite quote. I'll say for, for me, mine comes from um, Next Generation from um, the episode Deja Q and it's where Q has been, made human and foisted upon the, <laughs> the enterprise. <laughs> and uh, it's at the beginning of the episode where he, um, after the, the main title where he's, you know, in this drab um, civilian clothes, uh, uniform look and arguing with everyone, uh, Captain McCard and the bridge crew on why he actually is humid. And um, there, his exchange back and forth with, with Captain Picard and, but my favorite is sort of at the end of that where um, he's just so frustrating and goes, what, what must I do to convince you people? And Worf very dryly goes, die. <laughs> so that's like, yeah. for me, like that is the, the thing that comes to mind um, when I was writing everything down for this, that I was like, yep, that's it. <laughs> so like even, even Q's, uh, uh, I would end it there, but even Q's response back is so very, is it very clever Worf eat any good books lately? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, but st that whole scene is probably one of my favorites in all of Star Trek, but that it's not my actual favorite, favorite scene, but like for sure the most quotable for me, most memorable quotes out of that one scene. Yeah. I would love to see that though, as just a, a quote, just the Worf part. Just like, here, here's a quote from Star Trek. Die. Die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or kapla. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Oh gosh, I was going to say one thing and then I remember that I had a different answer when I thought about this before. Um, I think my favorite uh, quote is when uh, Captain Picard calls uh, Reginald Barkley broccoli on the bridge. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so unexpected. Like, you don't expect it. You don't see it coming or at least i don't know maybe if you're really sharp you do but um but just like the the look of horror on patrick stewart's face yeah, after yeah. he says that <laughs> yeah and, and then the, the uh you know just the reactions of everybody there it was just it's just a very simple moment but one of the best i think nice okay and from favorite quote we can go on to favorite scene uh so as megan said you know she said this isn't my favorite scene but you know so we're going to fill in that but now yeah so for me um my favorite scene is actually from voyager mm. um so it comes from um season two episode 18 and it's the first episode that has q in it on voyager and um Basically, he's gone there to um, argue against this other cue that Voyager has inadvertently freed from its imprisonment um, to have it, the choice for it to end its life. The continuum is not allowing that to happen. Um, and my favorite scene in that whole episode is um, where they have been, the, the Voyager or Captain Janeway and Tuvok, um, have been taken into the continuum and are the, the way that they can best perceive the continuum. And that, that cues argument on being able to have the freedom of choice. Um, so uh, that, and how his, how um, John Delancey's cue that we're so familiar with and how that cue had vast influence um, over this other cue and, uh, RQ not really knowing that until that moment. And um, it changes Q mm. um, really how he's acts and is perceived every other time he's on Voyager um, that, that that's moment fundamentally changes that character. Um, and so like that, that whole scene, I, I love, um, I, I don't necessarily condone people having the choice to have a medical assisted suicide or things like that. I do see having seen how my grandfather suffered in the end of his life. Like I, I get euthanasia mm. arguments. Um, it's not something I condone, but um, having that, that episode, I even had the script book cause they, they came out with script books for a few episodes and I had the script book for that. And like, I almost had it memorized. I uh, don't anymore. <laughs> like, but it was just a scene that I just loved and it just stuck with me. Are these scenes we have to do from uh, episodes or? No, I can be from an anything in Star Trek. <sighs> Dad, go mate. I, I just, <laughs> I had an answer and then I just thought of another one. Um, my, my favorite scene would come from first contact and the two that I was thinking of both come from first contact. And had gone now I don't know which one to choose um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh they're both so good okay if I had to choose it would 
probably be the uh, Deanna Troy drunk scene in First Contact with Jeff <laughs> yes. <Jeffrey> Cochran. Yes. <laughs> yep. Amazing scene. Yeah. I would not have been able to keep a straight face in that scene, I don't think. No. No. Just hilarious all the way around. I loved it. Um, you know, and, and Riker's uh, reaction to the whole thing, too. Just the expressions that he had on his face mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah, it's just, it was just a classic. It was an instant classic, I think, that scene. Mm. Um, I was going to say the one where Picard, like, broke the ships and he yells no and, like, smashes mm-hmm. the case. Like, that's a really powerful scene that has always stuck with me. Yeah, But, again, like, I have to go with the comedy over. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well... Surprising no one, I go not comedy, um, but it might be surprising that I didn't choose an action scene. Um, I actually chose, it's really funny um, that when I was looking at my favorite quote and my favorite scene, they actually come from back-to-back episodes. Um, so the, the quote was from season five, episode 15 in Voyager. Um, and then, uh, my favorite scene comes from episode 16. And this is an episode where Voyager encounters a ship that has been traveling for 400 years. And it's basically a group of, of an alien race that, just kind of set out for the stars and just live on this ship. And they've been, you know, multiple generations. They kind of keep to themselves. They're, they're very xenophobic, but they start having a lot of malfunctions. And so Voyager comes along and offers help. And they, the aliens um, actually set up a lot of like restrictions on, who can interact with the Voyager crew and all of that. So it's like restricted to the engineers and the, the navigators and stuff like that have um, basically supervised interactions and, and um, limited interaction with the Voyager crew, except for the fact that Harry falls in love and, you know, he falls really hard for this one woman who is, you know, she actually is a, a wonderful person and, you know, they seem to mesh really well and they go behind everybody's back and form a, a deep relationship and um, they, you know, of course get caught and it turns out that um, when this race bonds to a mate it's it's actually like a physiological and um psychological bond and it's it's considered i think impossible to break but it's it's not actually impossible it's just very very difficult and it it is very mentally and physically hard on the two parties if if they try to separate and so of course um you know, Harry is not accepted among the aliens to stay with them. And, you know, the, the woman tall decides, you know, that she can't leave her people. So they end up having to separate. And 
at the very end, you know, Harry is going through this, like almost like a physical withdrawal from being with her. And of course he got totally chewed out for, uh, going behind everybody's back and, and breaking the rules and everything. And Janeway comes into sick bay where Harry's talking to the doctor and, you know, the doctor's trying to convince him to receive treatment in order to not feel so bad. But Harry, because it, it was his decision and, you know, he, it's almost like he doesn't want to forget her. So he feels like he should go through this withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Janeway comes to him and, you know, she kind of talks the doctor down and lets Harry make that decision. And she says, you know, my, my reprimand of you still stands. I still think you made, you know, you know, you, you still did the wrong thing because you disobeyed orders, but here's a little explanation of why I reacted the way I did. And it's one of those scenes where I watched it a couple of times and I'm pretty sure there's no cut in it. So it's, it's completely delivered all in one. Um, Janeway literally sits down on the bio bed beside Harry and says, you know, the, the reason that I, I, reacted so strongly is because you know you came to me as an ensign fresh out of the the academy so excited for your first mission you've been exemplary all along you know if if tom had done this i yes i would have been upset i would have been just as you know horrified that we had crossed that line but I wouldn't have been surprised. Mm-hmm. And because it, you know, because I have this connection with you, like I, I think of you differently, Harry, like I'm extra protective of you. And it's because, you know, it, it's almost like she's basically saying, <laughs> you know, you're, you're my, you're my youngest son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, she just kind of, is is vulnerable there to him and we get this moment of well captain you know that was five years ago i've changed and you know he says i guess i guess i'm not the perfect officer anymore and janeway says maybe not but you are a better man Mm. so i just love that whole interaction i mean Janeway and Harry are, I love both of those characters so, so much. And to get that just absolute heart to heart moment was perfect. All right. So going from heartfelt scenes, funny scenes, now we're going into the darker side of Star Trek and we are going to talk about our favorite villain. I mean, for me, um, my favorite villain is Goldicott. Like if I had to pick just one character, not a, if it was a, a race, it would be the Borg. Um, but one character would be um, Goldicott. He was so, so well developed um, through the course of Deep Space Nine um, and went on an arc that um, 
was unexpected for me. Um, but it was good to see, like, he still had this, um, overarchingness of, of his character itself didn't change, but just, um, the way that his character became fleshed out that you were, I just, he was just a really, really good villain for me. And, um, my, my second on that was so close was Wayun. Um, so, but I, for me, it's, it's Goldicott. Hopefully you can hear me okay. I'm a little far back from the mic because I have a dog in my lap right now. <laughs> um, uh, I think mine has to be Q and I would place him in the villain. I mean, even though he's somewhat friendly in the, in the series, his main purpose is just to annoy the crew so um, or to challenge them. So I would, I would put him in the villain camp. And uh, I think Q just for all of the obvious reasons. I love somebody who um, annoys people <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, he just, and he just created a ton of like really funny moments, as Megan referenced not too long ago. Um, and I, you know, his his episodes were always really fun to watch. At least for me, I know Aaron doesn't feel the same way, but um, <laughs> I really enjoyed them. So I would have to say uh, Q. Yeah. I mean, I definitely couldn't say Q is my favorite, but, uh, you know, I'm coming around a little bit the more we dive back into some of this stuff. So a little less on the, uh, ugh. Um, uh, but yeah, I had a hard time with this one. I didn't have any real strong reason behind my choice, but, I am once again going to second Megan's choice and say Gal Dukat. Uh, just when I thought of villain, that was the first mm-hmm. name that popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it is because in a lot of Star Trek, the the quote unquote villain had some redeeming quality, or you know, it was like in watching the Voyager episode with the Vidians, you know, yes, they're villains for sure, but for a reason that you could almost kind of wrap your brain around. Mm-hmm. Whereas I find with Galdicott, it's really just, he's just an icky person. Yeah. When and you think he's redeemable, he yeah. is not. Yeah. yeah. Does um, something for you to go, yeah, you're really, you're exactly who I thought you were. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if that was just the first name that popped into my head, so I'm going with it. All right. And here's one that, uh, is a little bit different. What is your favorite theme music? Um, for me, I, I picked one from the TVs and one from the movies. Okay. Um, so for me, um, this, It was so hard. <laughs> so from the television shows, um, Voyager went out. I didn't think it was going to. I listened to the themes today. It's like, yeah, Voyager went out on that one. So um, uh, it's just such a beautiful theme song. Um, I love Deep Space Nine, too. That would be my second favorite. It was close. Um, but Voyager went out for me on that one. And then the movie themes. Um <sighs> I'm tied for generations 
and first contact. Maybe first contact wins out over um, that is such a beautifully written score, but I loved the one from generations as well. So, mm. um, so yeah. Okay. First contact. I'll go with that one. <laughs> Final answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to say, Megan and I have pretty much the exact same choices here. Um, wow. uh, vo- the Voyager theme is my favorite out of all of them. I do think it is uh, the most beautiful one. And uh, DS9 does come in second for me as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to choose between the two of them, but there's just something a little bit more melodic about Voyager mm-hmm. that I think appeals to the ear. And... Uh, I didn't even think about movies, but yeah, first contact. It makes me cry every single time I listen yeah. to that music. Mm. And I think part of that's just the nostalgia of it. Yeah. You know, and I've but. I've played that theme for like friends of mine that are not Star Trek fans. And they were like, wow, that's beautiful. What did that come from? It came from Star Trek. <laughs> like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, really? I yeah. I've uh, seen stuff on TV just use it randomly. Like, mm. I don't know, I guess they licensed it or something to use in whatever show, but I've seen it on a couple of things that had nothing to do with Star Trek before. Mm. I was really surprised to hear it, but. Yeah, well, that makes uh, three of us then for the TV show theme. Um, as uh, Megan and Sarah know, I actually have the Voyager theme as the ringtone on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I It's just a beautiful piece of music. Um, and I've actually recently been listening to the Picard soundtrack. And I will say every time the Voyager theme peeks through in the, in the Picard soundtrack, I get literal tingles on my, Hmm. on my head. Just, you know, for some reason that theme just really catches my ear. Um, as far as movies, um, I actually didn't have a distinct uh, answer until just a second ago. I remembered um, this one actually comes from Into Darkness. um, And it is the music that plays over the scene where um, the, the family with the sick daughter is going mm-hmm. to the hospital and and they meet Khan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a piece called London Calling, and it's very I'm, pretty. Yeah, it's one of those pieces of music that I can't help but close my eyes when I listen to it and just bathe in the music. Um, so. It's it's not a main theme, and I was going to choose a main theme, but then I just I just heard that start playing in the back of my mind, and I was like, oh, that's it. Well, I thought you were going to say the club music. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are fun, but yeah. uh, no, um, I'm I'm a sucker for a really um, really emotional piano piece. Yeah, I was going to say like a haunting yes. melody line. Yeah. Yeah, that's very much it. All right. Now, from uh, music to 
some little factoids. Uh, what is your favorite behind the scenes tidbit that you've learned? Um, so for example, mine uh, actually comes from a video that I found on YouTube, um, which I want to say it was from Entertainment Tonight. They did a bit of a set tour of Voyager when it was being filmed. And so some of the cast talked about different parts of the set and, and that sort of thing. And um, Garrett Wong, who uh, was showing parts of the engineering set, pointed out the the little labels on some of the panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so usually when you see them on screen, the only thing big enough is to see like a number. So it's like hatch number, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but he said the the whole label has stuff written on it. Um, and it's not just gibberish. It's not just, you know, shapes or lines. It's actual words. Yeah, the grams. Yeah. And so you, you look at it and so it, there's like tiny script down at the bottom and each one says something different. So like the one he happened to point to and read at that, that in that, video I found um, just underneath says uh, wherever you go, there you are, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's just little like random things. uh, And I thought that was, was pretty funny. For me, mine um, actually comes from um, first contact. Actually I have two from first contact. This one's not my favorite one, but I'm going to tell everyone to go watch it. So a few (laughs) weeks ago when um, it came upon, I think the 25th anniversary of first contact, or first contract day. And they were doing all this stuff through um, YouTube and the streaming mm. services. And um, Brent Spiner was talking about how um, he ended up doing the stunt um, in the missile silo of being dropped from the platform where he's talking with Picard down to the bottom of the silo. He actually did that. They had a stuntman do it and they couldn't use it because you saw too much of the guy's face. Wow. And his experience of how terrifying <laughs> that was. <laughs> so it is on YouTube. Go watch it. It's, it's very amusing. Um, but my favorite um, behind the scenes fact I actually found today. And for me, it crosses over um, into my other um sci-fi passion which is star wars um and so on in first contact industrial light and magic did a lot of the computer generated special effects and so in the opening scene where the various ships are battling the borg um at earth uh you see the defiant come swooping in well in that background um the workers at ILM worked in the Millennium Falcon <laughs> into that scene. And so you can see it like very, very briefly um, that as the Defiant comes in, it's in the left-hand side of the screen flying out of frame, like evading shots and or being shot at. So like for me, I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I'm sure like people at Paramount didn't think so, but for, for the guys at ILM yeah. to go, hey, we're going to, we're going to insert our, 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 our ship into your, your Star Trek world. So <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Well, along a similar vein, um, apparently J.J. Abrams puts R2-D2 in every movie he makes. So apparently you, you can just barely make out R2-D2 among some wreckage in, in the first uh, remake, I think. Hmm. 
My favorite behind-the-scenes factoids comes from all the stories that the TNG crew tells at, um, or the cast tells at all of the conventions. And I've seen a lot of their videos on YouTube. You know, you can go to YouTube and watch the cast panels from, you know, some conventions. Um, I was trying to think, like, was there one thing that stuck out that I remember them talking about? And I think one of the funniest stories, and I'm not going to do it justice, uh, but one of the funniest stories was when they were talking about Patrick Stewart directing A Fistful of Datas. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember that episode where it's on a Western set. I didn't and, know he directed that episode. Yeah, he did. They got the English guy <laughs> to direct the Western. <laughs> yes, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, the cast likes to, to really tease Patrick for being a horrible, not a horrible director, but it's not his best, you know, talent. And um, so apparently in the, the bar scene where um, Michael Dorn was telling this story, he said that anytime there was a scene on TNG where smoke had to be used, Patrick would always complain. And he would actually like call OSHA, you know, the um, people who regulate all of that stuff in uh, industry wow. and, and complain to them about how much smoke was being used in scenes on the show. <laughs> and, uh, but he said, of course, though, when it became Patrick's turn to, to direct and they get into the bar scene where everybody's smoking cigars, they're pumping in like the smoke from the smoke machines and Patrick's back there yelling, more smoke. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> <the whole time. laughs> and they said it's hilarious because you can go back and you can see that and like you can barely see the people or something like it's so smoky in there and they were uh just making fun of just how much smoke was in that that scene and um i could actually uh, when i was in Mad Men, i was in a scene where they were smoking and mm. they had pumped that smoke into the sound stage and it, you couldn't even breathe in there mm. i actually had to like go outside to to mm. breathe properly uh and it was like that for hours you know, they just kept pumping the smoke in. So I agree with Patrick on that. I understand him calling OSHA about it because it's not <laughs> healthy at all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I, I can't, I can't tell the story as funny as they did, but um, the the way they told it uh, is just pretty hilarious. So. All right. So talking about uh, facts too, now we're going to go into a little uh, series of things about episodes. So, what is our favorite, I called it an episode trope. So it's something like a transporter accident or uh, aliens capture the ship. Uh, so what is our favorite premise for an episode? Oh, this one was hard. Um, for me, I think I finally just ended on the holodeck misadventures Mainly because this episode was on TV the other night, and it's one of my favorite episodes um, that came out of, of Deep Space Nine, and it's called Our Man Bashir, and it's where Julian Bashir has a, he's a James Bond type character um, set in the 70s in um, on Earth, and Garrick has... Um, invited himself into the holodeck and surprises him. And then there's um, 
a the main crew of Deep Space Nine is coming back from somewhere and something happens with their shuttle and they need to be emergency beamed out of the shuttle. And the, I think the shuttle explodes in the middle of that happening. And so like their patterns are stuck in the transporter. And so they store um, all of the data from the transporter buffer before it starts to break down in Deep Space Nine. And so basically all the memory systems of the space station gets taken up by um, the memory patterns of these people. Their physical patterns, because the holodeck was running, goes into the holodeck and takes over these characters um, in this hollow novel that Dr. Bashir is is running. Um, And so he and um, Garrick can't leave the holodeck. They have to play the program through. And in the process of doing that, they can't allow any of these characters to die. Because if they die, then their physical pattern could be lost. Um, so it, it for me, it's just such a great episode that you have these these actors. They're still in their character makeup, but are not in that character. They are literally portraying this um, character in this book um, that Doctor Bashir is is playing, and it's so atypical of every single character <laughs> that they that they play in Deep Space Nine um, is very much the stereotypical James Bond 70s, 60s, 70s um, storyline that's happening inside the holodeck. It's just, it's such a fun episode for me um, to see all these characters act in that stereotype, but so vastly different from the way you normally see them. That it was just, it's just a fun episode and one that I really enjoy watching. I don't know if mine can be called a trope, but my favorite episodes tend to be the ones that are bottle episodes where they don't go off the ship at all. Mm. And the problem is contained to, uh, is contained to the ship or contained to something in the crew. And, you know, examples of this would be like the episode data's day in TNG where there's not necessarily, well, I guess there's a huge disaster that might hurt the enterprise. I, I don't know, but I don't, what I remember from that episode is uh, the O'Brien wedding getting called off and you know, that whole thing. Um, and then data just like basically vlogging the day <laughs> for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that or the episode disaster, um, you know, where everybody's in like different areas of the ship trying to solve whatever problem they're faced with. Episodes like that, uh, for some reason, are just fun to watch for me. Hmm. Well, it's funny because I was originally going to say Holodeck Misadventure as well, but then um, I've recently watched a couple episodes of Voyager that are ones I really enjoy, and I realized it's more along the lines of what Sarah said. They they are contained to Voyager generally, but I really enjoy the episodes where it's like really catastrophic something happens to the ship. So like uh, the one that I, I watched just the other day, Voyager literally gets duplicated in the same point in space but very slightly out of phase. So it's like two copies of Voyager are literally on top of each other. Um, 
And so, you know, it's neat how they get out of that situation because, of course, one ship is fine, but the other ship is being rocked or, um, you know, there are other ones where kind of like uh, macrocosm where something massive happens to the whole ship and it takes one or two people to um, to save the whole ship. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it would be more similar to what Sarah said, but, you know, more along the lines of uh, what I consider a fun episode. So, massive disaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're sort of like all three in agreement because the episode that I'm talking about, like, didn't advance yeah. the overall story of Deep Space Nine. It was just a fun episode. In fact, I remember when I watched it the other day, I was like, wow, is like, I love this episode, but it's so interesting that this is one of the few that didn't develop a character, didn't develop the storyline more of Deep Space Nine. It was just a fun episode. Hmm. I wonder if it's because those episodes tend to focus on the characters and, you know, it's, it's like you say, it doesn't necessarily advance a character, but it lets us delve a little bit deeper into the main characters that we know and love already. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. And also um, it's just fun for me, like just seeing the more mundane stuff that might mm. happen on the show where there's not some huge like epic plot happening like for instance i'll go back to data's day you know it's just literally him doing ships logs all day and we see like the the night shift and the day shift and you just get to see a little bit more of like the operation of the enterprise and the day-to-day on there which you know i feel like they didn't show too much of you know in star trek um mm. so i think bottle episodes uh, are have a tendency to, or the type of episodes we're talking about have a tendency to do that a little bit more. Wow, that was neat that we actually got down to <laughs> to a yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. All right. So going from episode trope to episode title. Now, this was something that um, I don't know why I just really enjoy the titles and how they tie into the episodes. Now with Star Trek, a lot of them are just one or two words, but um, some of them just, it's kind of like reading the, or judging the book by its cover. So, you know, it's, it's got to grab your attention. Um, So I don't know if we want to do, one from each series or yeah, I picked one from each series. Yeah. I did of the as completed well. series. So. Yes. I didn't do that. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all right. We can just do, uh, no, you, know. you guys, you guys give all your answers. I'll just okay. give the one that I, I actually, I can, I can do a couple yeah. off the top of my head. So yeah. Nice. Okay, for me, my list, um, is, um, a little different. Cause I, as I was looking, I was like, I don't like just like the one word answers. Hmm. Um, so um, for me, the ones that I would just read through and go, oh, I like that one. Um, so for the original series, I just we're, we're just picking titles. Like I don't, I have no idea what this episode is about. Yeah, <laughs> but the title um, is called "The Conscience of the King." Um, for next generation, I actually do know what this episode is about. Um, was who watches the watchers, and that was the first when you when we were 
sent this as a topic to discuss. That was the first title that popped in my head mm. was who watches the watchers. Um, for deep space nine, I picked if wishes were horses. I don't remember what that episode's about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for Voyager, um, the eye of the needle and for enterprise carpenter street. Hmm. I, I was waiting to see if any of ours overlapped because I basically did the same thing. I just looked at the lists of all the episodes and for each series just went, that one stood stood out. Mm-hmm. Uh, for most of them, um, I don't remember what the episode's about. You know, for Enterprise, I haven't even seen this episode, um, but it's just which title stood out to me. So for original series i chose dagger of the mind um for next generation i chose samaritan snare uh deep space nine this one i i do know the episode and i just thought it was a funny turn of phrase uh looking for parmok in all the wrong places um yeah we reviewed that episode we did yes uh, for Voyager, I chose False Prophets, and uh, oh, I remember that episode. Yeah, it's it's a fun episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way it's actually. I don't know whether you call it a pun or what it is, but uh, Prophets is not uh, the, uh, the you know, prophet as so, somebody who. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not a you know someone who speaks for a, a deity or something like that. It's it's profits as in earning money, uh, which might give you a little clue as to what the episode entails. Um, and then for Enterprise, um, I chose A Night in Sick Bay. Hmm. Oh, I think I know what that episode is. <laughs> it just made me think of those like Night in the Museum movies, mm-hmm. which are fun. It's probably a bottle episode. (laughs) It very well could be. I didn't know we were doing all of the series, so I didn't (laughs) choose one from all of the different series. But uh, the one I chose overall was from the original series, uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Mm. Um, Which I actually just watched that episode a couple days ago. Um, From... These other ones I'm going to have to do off the top of my head. But from TNG, I would just have to say probably all good things. Mm. Um, just because of the implication of that. Uh, from Deep Space Nine, I would have to say Trials and Tribulations. <laughs> Such a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Voyager, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't have time to go back and look at that as we were just talking here. Um trying to think is there one though that what was the what was the one called where uh they were like buck rogers oh um, <laughs> bride of chaotica yeah i'll go with that one on voyager <laughs> <laughs> um on enterprise the only one that comes to mind is shuttle pod one um i like that episode and i think it's a nice simple title uh, mm. I did. I did scroll through all of these though, the other day when I was just trying to like find the overall one that I liked, and I don't feel like any from Enterprise jumped out at me. So yeah, I had the same issue. Yeah, so I'm just going to go with Shuttlepod one. Nice. You you did very well for not having fully prepared that one. Yeah. 
All right. And then Sarah and I have already talked about our favorite episodes uh, in past podcast episodes, but uh, Megan wasn't there for that discussion. So we thought we would just uh, also talk about our favorite episodes. Now, I'm going to go with my second choice, uh, the one that almost won out. Um, and I'm sure this would change from time to time, but it is an episode that I go back to as that was really cool. Um, and it's actually kind of similar to the trials and tribulations from deep space nine, where the deep space nine crew goes back to the original series. Um, this is an episode from Voyager season three uh, called Flashback in which um, Janeway has to mind meld with Tuvok because he keeps having this recurring memory and it's, it's actually affecting his uh, nervous system. Uh, and in that memory, they go back to experiencing the time that Tuvok spent serving on the Excelsior under Captain Sulu. And they actually have George Takei play Sulu and, um, um, that was a good episode. Yeah. Janice Rand is back in it and it's, it's just a really neat episode. So, um, I, I chose Macrocosm as my favorite when we did this before, uh, but Flashback was a very close second. Okay, yeah, so my favorite episode, as I said before, is Second Chances, just because it um, has, you know, Riker and Troy in it, uh, and it's about their relationship, which I love. Um, but if we're talking about second choices, I was trying to think of a TNG episode because it is my favorite series. I'm having trouble, though, f- thinking of one that I maybe like better than Deep Space Nine's Trials and Tribulations. Hmm. Um, I really, really like that episode of Deep Space Nine, and I love the way that they integrated it in with the original series again. Again, it's comedy all the way through. Um, very similar to like the Voyage Home type stuff, in a way. Uh, so it's just... Yeah, it's just a really, really fun episode. Um, for me, um, my f- all-time favorite episode comes from um, Deep Space Nine, although um, All Good Things would probably be my second favorite episode, just to be right up there, because it was such a good finale for Next Generation. Um, but on Deep Space Nine... Um, this show is actually in the, uh, or this episode is in the sixth season, um, and it's called Far Beyond the Stars, mm. and it's um, where um, something happens with Captain Sisko, and I don't, I don't remember what because it's been a while since I've seen the episode, but um, he basically wakes up as a um, science fiction writer in the 1950s, and all of the um, series characters and regulars um, are all people that he interacts with um, in that setting. Um, none of them are in, in makeup. They're all in period costume. So when you get to see the actors of what they look like outside of their alien makeup. So um, you have, you know, 
Aaron Eisenberg that's playing a, a newspaper um, stand person and uh, Michael Dorn is a baseball, um, a Negro League baseball player. And um, you have Wayne, the Mark Alamo and Jeffrey Coombs are um, police detectives that are in plain clothes. So you get to see all these actors that you don't normally get to see um, normally. And um, it's just, it was such a f- good concept for me that you have um, in this episode that where Cisco is, um, he keeps seeing himself as Captain Cisco and like reflections and he's writing um, the, the, his story that he chooses to write is the story of Deep Space Nine. And it's basically, you know, are you the dreamer, the dreamer of the dream type episode? Mm. Um, and it, it comes in again later um, in season seven. Um, so it, it was just so well done um, for me. And it's even like that, I think at the end of this episode, the Captain Cisco does have that moment of like, well, am I a character or am I the author? Am I living with this? Am I really the person that wrote all of these things or am I just this character that this guy has written? Um, so for me, that, that is my all time favorite episode. I'd love to watch it. I'm so glad that they brought it back um, in season seven to continue on with um, the deep space nine storyline itself. So um, that one's that one's my favorite. For some reason, I thought that one was Little Green Men. No, no, I, that is a really good episode. It too. is, yeah, <laughs> that's a really good episode. But yeah, no, this is not that. That may be in the same season or the season before. Um, but isn't Little but Green still, Men when they go back? I, I for some reason I thought that they went back in like the 1940s or something in that one. They do. It's where um, Quark. Um, had bought a ship off of um, his cousin and they're taking Rom to earth for him to join Starfleet Academy. And Uh there's a malfunction that happens with the warp drive and they get thrown back in time to Roswell (laughs) (laughs) and they become the aliens for Roswell. And, and Odo is on along for the ride too, because he was hoping to catch Quark doing something illegal. And um, so, yeah, it's a, that's a fun episode for sure. Yeah. You know, each of those episodes, as soon as you said Far Beyond the Stars, I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> I know this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a good episode. Um, I don't know who wrote it, Sarah, when we finally get to where we can talk about it, um, I'm Sarah will dig into all that. But like the, the writers on that just did a fantastic job. Yeah. That was one of my top choices for the uh, favorite title. Mm. On DS9, too. So I did come up since I I don't think we actually talked about this. I know we texted back and forth about it, but of us, I wrote down what my favorite book is because I did read the Star Trek books. Oh, yeah. Um, when they were all the rage in the 90s. Um, so I have my favorite book and my favorite series out of those. So um, I think my all time favorite book um, out of that is Dark Mirror from. Uh, it's a next generation novel that was published that it just delves more deeply into the mirror universe than what we saw in the original series. Um, it's the, you know, the next generation's um, interaction with that. And um, 
I just, I loved that book. It's, I've reread it many, many times, and I, I hope it's still in my, my parents' house because I didn't bring a lot of that stuff with me because um, I'd love to dig it out and read it again or uh, buy it as an ebook um, to read it. It's just so incredibly well done, real, well written. And um, the, the um, I don't know if you guys do this when you read these novels, but like they become movies in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I just had like a fantastic time. Um, envisioning that book um, as I was reading through it, that the all these characters that you've come to love um, through Next Generation to see the more evil side of them um, in the mirror universe and what they're how completely opposite of themselves that they are, um, but they're having to fill in to those people and like be those people. Cause they've crossed over. And I can't remember why they've crossed over, but they crossed over for some reason. Um, and they're actually having to be these evil characters. Um, so it was just, it's such a good book for me. And then, but my f- series of books um, out of the Star Trek books, um, actually I have a tide on that. So um, the f- out of the tie, there's um, the invasion series that crossed over. So there was one book that was original series, next generation, deep space nine and Voyager. Um, and they were just scary. Mm. <laughs> like there was this, there was this alien species that came over that their weapon was fear, hmm. like literal fear. And so they were um, almost like Star Trek horror books, but they weren't. So you're watching these characters have to overcome this enemy battling their own fear, mm. um, whatever they're most afraid of. Um, and so I love that. And then my equal love is something completely opposite of that, but it is a crossover um, series. And it was the captain's table mm. um, series of books um, that I think I had it in one big book um, to read, but it's basically this bar, this, magical bar that appears that only captains can go in uh, only captains can see and only captains can go in. And so you have, you know, uh, a captain Kirk storyline and you have a captain Picard storyline and you have a captain Cisco storyline and you have a captain Janeway storyline and you had a captain. Um, oh gosh. What was the book series that Peter David wrote? Oh, he wrote a lot. Um, but this was like, it was an actual, like, yeah, took place on a ship. It was a, oh, I, I think that I it wasn't based read, off the t- television shows. Yeah. I think I only read one of them and I can't remember any of the characters or anything. Did it have had, like new in the title? Maybe. I don't remember because I didn't read them, but like mm. I enjoyed this episode. So it had that captain hmm. in it as well. Um, and so it, it crossed over all of those um, different series. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a fun, fun set of books to read. Um, and I think they were all written. I think Peter David wrote that character's segment. So like they were all written by different people. Hmm. Um, yeah. But it's just, I, I mean, I, that was one of the things I loved in the nineties was having all the novelizations. Um that you can read. And um, like, I enjoyed the, the Voyager books that were written after the, at the end of the show um, of what happened 
that people wrote of what happened when the ship got home. Hmm. Um, or the Lives of Dax book that was written for Deep Space Nine. So, like, there's just... Or even, like, the the books or the novels of the movies. Yeah. Um, so you could get the more fleshed-out storyline than what you saw on screen. Um, so it's, it's one of those things, like, I miss. I hate that I didn't pack them all up and bring them with me when, I'm, when I moved <laughs> out. Because um, I'd love to go back and read read through them again. Um, or, I mean, I may have to get the audiobooks or something, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just they're just they're just fun reads for this genre to to feel more of a thing than what you see on television. Yeah, New Frontier is the ah uh, yes. yes. You still have my book that I lent you, right? Last I do. Summer. It's <laughs> on my bookcase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to maybe like trickle them down each time you go back home, like put two or three in your suitcase and then. <laughs> yeah. I've got to find them. I have a few, a few of the books that I think I bought like right after I moved here um, that I have. And I think they're both Voyager books, um, but all the rest of them are in my mom's house somewhere. Hopefully, hopefully I didn't like purge them when I was packing through stuff to move, move out. Um, so I'm going to have to look next to my home, whenever that, whenever that is. <laughs> Don't ship the media mail through USPS. No, no. I oh. lost some books doing that, so. Mm. No, I'll have to definitely do it on a trip that I actually drive yeah. from Houston to Memphis and have a car to bring <laughs> stuff back in, so. Mm. Uh, I think I lost one of my favorite ones, but um, – it was because I also lost my apartment in a hurricane. <laughs> so oh, yeah. um, I had a lot of books that uh, I just had to go, yeah, that's not salvageable. <laughs> so, uh, um, and, and the one that I, I th- keep thinking of that I'm like, oh, I should get that as a, as an ebook or whatever. It's actually a deep space nine uh, novel and it's, it's called blood letter. And uh, it's some people from Kira's past in the resistance uh, kind of reappear. And basically this one guy decides that he, he has been charged with uh, kind of eliminating everybody who was a part of a certain um, portion of the resistance and of course, Kira is one of those. So, um, and there, there's yeah, a subplot with the the Cardassians trying to uh, stake a claim because they they say, okay, well, if we can't get the the wormhole away from the Federation, then well, we'll we'll stake a claim to the the other end of the wormhole. Um, and so then, you know, Deep Space Nine has to cobble together uh, something to be a pseudo station on the other side before the Cardassians can get there. And hmm. um, yeah, so it, it's got some some interesting uh, plots and subplots in there. Um, but uh, I I do have to say my absolute favorite novel um would be uh, Mosaic, which is... Oh, that is a good book. Yeah, it, it's basically Janeway's biography, and but also woven in with um, a, an actual 
happening on Voyager. Um, and so it, it's really neat. As I've been rewatching some Voyager episodes, I keep catching little tidbits that that Janeway mentions about her life. Like uh, an episode I watched recently, so she says, you know, I I got caught in a rainstorm and got lost when I you know, lost my tennis match and mm-hmm. decided to walk home and got caught in a storm and my dad had to come and find me. Um, and, you know, that is actually fleshed out in the book and they yeah. add a whole lot more. And, um, of course, being a, a Janeway fan, I just really love that. Uh, and I remember when I was younger, when that book first came out, they actually put out an audiobook. Now this was before you were downloading them from the internet. Um, and so it was abridged. Uh, I had it on cassette tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was like four tapes and it's actually read by Kate Mulgrew Really? It is. It's fantastic. It's got sound effects. It's got music and it's fabulous. Um, it is on Audible if anyone I'm is interested. I'm going to have to use a credit and get yes. that on Audible. It is wonderful. Um, you you will absolutely love Kate Mulgrew's Neelix. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't wait. Um, I've got my phone in my hand right now. I'm to find this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's one that I go back to um, just as as something to put on as background noise because it's it's very. She has a great voice, um, and. Uh, you know, she she tries to do voices for each of the characters for the most part, and it's wonderful. I, I will I, say, like, for everyone that is like us, if you grew up, you know, watching Star Trek in the 90s, and um, if you did enjoy the novels, I have discovered that Simon & Schuster's, on their website, they have reissued a lot of these books mm. as um, uh, e-books. Um, so you can purchase them. I think you can get them on Amazon and things like that as well, but... Um, so like I, I've been looking at some of them cause my mom, I have my um, birthday's coming up next week. I need to text my mom. I want a Simon and Schuster gift card <laughs> 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 so I can rebuy a lot of these books that I don't have anymore that I loved reading when I was growing up. So, yeah, I will also add that, um, I always loved the comic books for Star Trek when they were originally putting them out. And, um, I have, really gotten into uh the company IDW has done uh comics for they they kind of started out with the Kelvin universe uh Star Trek and they've branched out into doing some some of them kind of cross over each of the series like there's one out there that has um a storyline each for each of the doctors from the different series. Um, and then there's, there's one that, uh, um, one I really enjoy is called the Q conflict and, um, Q. So interesting that you like that and you don't care for Q all that much. Well, see, I, I like it because what it does is, Q is basically having a, you know, God-sized argument with some other omnipotent beings. 
and they decide to um, settle their differences by having the humans battle it out for them. Um, so each of the uh, beings involved chooses a captain to represent them, and then it's it's literally like schoolyard pick of um, characters from each of the series. So you end up with just a mishmash of characters on each of the ships and they have to complete these challenges and, and everything. It's, it's really fun. It completely obliterates any other sort of storyline or anything like that. And in fact, even at the end, they end up like Q gives each person the choice, whether they want to remember what happened or not. Hmm. Um, so you, you, you kind of get this undercurrent of if you think back to the episodes, like they show you where each point in time the characters got plucked from. Um, so you could go back and go, oh, so you're telling me that from this point on, you know, Tuvok remembers that incident. You know, so it's kind of neat. Hmm. Well, my favorite book, um, you'll never guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I can. <laughs> I think I can, too. <laughs> I probably mentioned it way back when we first started. I, I think you might have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it's Imzadi by Peter David. He's one of the best Star Trek authors, too. Yeah. Oh, know, so. yes, totally. Yeah. Um, that one. And, you know... I think I've explained how I read Star Trek books before, but basically I usually read books that have to do with Riker or Troy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I like skim through them and I find all of the scenes that they're in and I read those and then I kind of just skim over the rest of the book. So I have some <laughs> idea of what's going on, but I don't take the time to actually read it <laughs> because I don't really care that much. <laughs> <laughs> But there was one book called Rogue Saucer that was a TNG book. And I I think I bought it at like a used bookstore one day because I used to collect all the books. Mm -hmm. Like I just like to look at them, you mm -hmm. know, like on my shelf, even though I didn't read most of them. Um, I just wanted to have them. And so anytime I ran across them at like at a used bookstore or sometimes I would buy them new. But for the most part, because I was a kid and I didn't have a ton of money. Um they were a great library for me, from what I remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I probably had half of my bookshelf, at least, yeah. were just crammed with, like, the paperbacks. Um, and I think I had the Blood Letter book that Aaron mm. mentioned, too. Um, but that Rogue Saucer, for some reason, that one, like, sucked me in. And I read that over, like, eight hours, which I never do with books. Like, wow. I don't like I don't like reading. And for me to sit down and read a book in one day is like a miracle uh, world <laughs> record for me because I, I've never done that before in my life with any other book. And that was the only one that did it. And I don't even remember what it was about, <laughs> but it was, it was good. <laughs> Whatever it was about. And that one and, and Imzadi are the only two Star Trek books that I've read from cover to cover. Hmm. The other ones, I've just done the whole skimming thing. So that's my oh in the Imzadi book, you know, I got that on a um, 
I didn't even know it existed, actually. I was on the junior high winter camp um, with church, and we stopped at, we used to stop at a mall in Nashville. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was called the Bellevue Mall, actually. Um, <laughs> I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. We used to stop there and we were, we, they give us a couple of hours just to walk around and, you know, get something to eat and stuff. And we went into a bookstore and there, like, when you walked in to the front door, they had on the display the Imzadi book, just hmm. like right there. And I was like, whoa, that's a Star Trek book and it has to do with my two favorite characters or whatever. And this was like maybe a year or two after I started watching the show. So I was pretty new to Star Trek at that point. And actually, I don't even know if I knew the the books existed. Hmm. Um, and I so I that just discovered that randomly. And I bought that. I had like $15 or something. And I <laughs> bought that book and um, started reading it on the, on the bus on the way home. And I probably read it three or four times. It's the only Star Trek book I've read more than once. So yeah, I've read it multiple times too. Yeah. As far as like the series go, though, uh, my favorite series uh, is the the A Time Two series that mm. came out between. Um, I don't actually know if it came I, out. It I came out after Nemesis, that. but they were uh, they they filled in the gap between Insurrection and Nemesis, basically, um, or at least so like. I, I did look up the Rogue Saucer. So that book bridged the gap between the end of the seventh season and Generations. Oh, why you, why you liked it so much. Okay. I vaguely remember that now. It tying into the movie. Yeah, that might be why. Yeah. But the A Time 2 series was good because it did fill in the gaps with our characters. Because there was a four-year gap between Insurrection and Nemesis. And you were kind of like, well, what the heck has happened to these characters in that time? <laughs> and um, so it kind of like picked up, I think, about a year or so before Nemesis. And I liked it because... It, it took us through the story of um, Riker and Troy and leading up to their marriage and you know how they how they got engaged and all of that. And Riker's dad died in it in a, like pretty dramatically, and so it was just it has some memorable books in there. Of course, I didn't read all of them. <laughs> you know, I just <laughs> <laughs> I skimmed through them and found the scenes I wanted to read. <laughs> but I like that series. I'm glad you explained what that series is because when I was on like Simon and Schuster's website, they came up. They come up a lot. On I guess there's uh, obviously they'll be super popular, but I had no idea what they were. So I was like, what are these? Because the book covers are weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I'm glad you explained what they are because that sounds like something I want to read. Yeah, you would like them <laughs> because each book actually uh, focuses on a different character, kind of. So, mm-hmm. so that makes sense with the covers. Yeah, so they all kind of like fill in the the character story for what happened between Insurrection and Nemesis. It's so weird that as much as I love Deep Space Nine, I rarely ever read their novels. I was I've more I read more Next Generation novels than out of any of them, maybe three <laughs> or four Next Generation, maybe five. Deep Space Nine novels out of all the Star Trek books I've read. Mm. I feel like um, the TNG ones were really pumped up, though. And the DS9, I feel like DS9 and Voyager novels were kind of an afterthought, almost. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. That's a sense I got, like, back in the 90s. They they mostly just advertised the, like, the TNG and probably the popularity of... Because, like, back in the 90s, 
DS9 was not that popular. It like, was not. Yeah, yeah. It, t- it took a while for that to really gain steam. So I think the books probably reflected that too. I definitely had more Voyager books than any other, but <laughs> this is me we're talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a few of those too, uh, but I, for sure, most of mine were next generation books. All right, so that is our list of some of our favorite things. So if you want to jump in on the uh, conversation and let us know some of your favorite things, we do have our social media that you can get in touch with us on. Um, We have our Twitter, which is at Tribbles Podcast. We have Instagram with four Tribbles and Transporters and also Facebook pages and groups. So you can join us all over there. Uh, we do also have a email where you can reach us, which is tribblesandtransporters at gmail.com. Now we do have a little bit of feedback from our last uh, episode that was posted. Um, we do have a listener question that we put out there, uh, which comes from the episode phage from Voyager. And our quiz question was in the episode phage, what item did Neelix ask Ensign Parsons to rotate every 10 minutes? Now my, uh, I got a little creative here with some of, uh, my, multiple choice answers. Some of these are actually uh, things from Star Trek, and I think at least one is completely made up. Um, So we had A, Plika Rind, B, Joran Breadfruit, C, Enar Sandwiches, or D, Darvot Fritters. Uh, And we didn't have anybody jumping in on this question. So we didn't have any answers there, except we did have a comment uh, from Leon Valverde. Uh, He said, basically, none of the above. It was Leola Root. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which, uh, that is a very good call. That should have been one of my answers. uh, Because it's, uh, yeah, it's a running gag on Voyager that nobody likes uh, Neelix's Leola Root stew. Okay, I was wondering for a second if I was, should have gotten that because I, yeah. I had no idea what, <laughs> what they were referencing. All right, well, next time, originally we were going to do um, the Voyage Home, but we decided to do this instead because we had scheduling issues. So if we referenced that in our previous episode, um, just know that we're not doing that until uh, our next topic episode. So we're going to go back to the original series and kind of start our cycle through the the different series again. And we're going to pick up with the original series episode, The Naked Time, which is episode four of season one. I'm looking forward to this one because apparently the naked now in TNG is a play on this one kind of. So yeah. Oh yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah. So I'd like to see how similar they are. Right. And we hope that you guys join us for that as well. Uh, thanks again for listening as always. And we will, uh, you know, I just realized we don't have any outro music <laughs> because we no. didn't do a music challenge. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll pick something random and stick it in here for you guys to listen to. (laughs) Maybe first contact. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. Enjoy this first contact music and we will see you next time. Bye everybody. Bye-bye.